if you were making Christianity up, if you were writing it as a make-believe story, as sometimes people think, you know, that somebody sat down years ago and, and this is just a story that's being told, I don't think you would include this incident in the story. It's included in all four Gospels, the incident of Peter's denial of Jesus. It's bad enough that the hero of the story, um, Jesus, is going to be crucified. A thing of ultimate shame in the ancient world. But here is one of his main men letting him down a bagful. You wouldn't include this, would you? It's embarrassing and it's shameful. And in the first century world, they live in an honour culture. And yet, although this would have caused Peter great humiliation as this story was read out, yet there's a reason it's included because there's something that can triumph over our failure, can triumph over our sin, can triumph over our humiliation. And it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This incident not only highlights the truth of the gospel, it highlights the grace of the gospel, even in this catastrophic failure. And we should be grateful that the Bible doesn't whitewash the failures of the followers of Jesus and the followers of God, even in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. At so many points, Scripture speaks into our darkness, whether it's the darkness of sin or the darkness of fear or the darkness of depression or the darkness of failure. It has answers for us. This passage is about what uh, about Jesus' arrest and Jesus' trial. But really there are two men on trial here. One is Peter and the other is Jesus. One writer says this, Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing. You could nearly fill in the other sentence, couldn't you? Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. And John interweaves uh, Peter's story and Jesus' story uh, together to show us something beautiful. That while we fail Jesus, Jesus does not fail us. While we fail Jesus, Jesus does not fail us. That's what we want to see this morning. We want to see, first of all, when we fail Jesus. When you fail Jesus. Many times in the life of the Christian, we will fail. A Christian isn't a perfect person. The Christian is someone who has realized where to go with their imperfection and their, their guilty record. They go to Jesus for forgiveness and he starts to change them. But we can still get it wrong and sometimes we get it badly wrong. Sometimes we get it publicly wrong. And we let our Savior down as Peter did in public. Sometimes we get it privately wrong and we kick ourselves and we think, why did I do that? Maybe it's just in the confines of our own home. And sometimes it's something that maybe other people wouldn't notice, but we know and we know that God knows and we think to ourselves, 
Why did I do that? Why did I say that? It's not a place we want to be, failing our Saviour. And so I want us to notice two things in Peter that led to his falling, so that we can see these characteristics in our own lives and take heed lest we fall. First of all, we fail Jesus when we are confident in our own strength. We fail Jesus when we're confident in our own strength, in our own abilities. Back in John 13, 37, um, Peter had said, Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Also in that upstairs room, Luke records, uh, sorry, Matthew records that Peter says, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He had been bold and boastful in what he'd said. And even in the garden, he had, of all the disciples, he had pulled out his sword and he had launched into those who were arresting Jesus. He was confident in his own strength and courage. And yet, and yet, Jesus had warned him. Jesus had said to him in Luke twenty-two thirty-three, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He had been warned. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, probably not an hour before this, he had been told to pray. Mark 14, 37. Simon, are you asleep? Jesus said. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And more again, Jesus had said to the disciples, well, he had said to the soldiers, but in saying it to the soldiers, he was really saying it for the disciples to take heed. He had said to the, the soldiers, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he, let these go. He was dismissing his disciples. They were free to go. And they all did. Except Peter and John. So he had been warned. And yet, Peter finds himself in the courtyard. What happened that led to him denying that he even knew Jesus? He certainly had great love for Jesus. He had great zeal for Jesus. But Proverbs tells us that zeal without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Goes off course. Peter didn't know himself. He was a tragic mix of self-confidence and pride and zeal. And it put him in the wrong place and left himself vulnerable. John Calvin says, it would be far better for him to groan and pray in some dark corner than to go into the presence of men. It would have been better for Peter if he had stayed in a dark corner than to go where he was vulnerable. And instead, he goes into the courtyard. He finds himself asked a, a simple question by a very unintimidating figure. 
a little servant girl. The word that's used means that she was a, a servant girl, a young girl. And she's, she asks a question. And the question's not even an accusation. The question is really, you're not also one of them? It expects him to say, no, no, no. She's not accusing him, saying, you are one of them. She's not even saying that. And yet, in this moment, Peter crumbles. He had been confident in his own strength. I think there's several warnings here for us. We need to know our own weaknesses so that we don't put ourselves in places of temptation. And that's different for each Christian. We see John here. And John isn't questioned. In fact, it's known that he is a follower of Jesus. Although the NIV says, you are not one of his disciples, are you? The Greek says, you are not also one of his disciples. You are not one of his disciples too. The implication is, I know John is, but are you one of them? And so John's known for being a follower of Jesus. He's in the courtyard, but he's not coming under this pressure. Maybe he was wired differently. And so we need to know ourselves. You know, there's obvious areas and places of temptation where lust could be provoked in someone. Maybe in you. Things that we watch or read that provoke us to lust. Or somebody who's an addiction problem finds themselves in a place where they are surrounded by the substances that they can't easily resist and they need to know their weaknesses and not be there but for each of us it would be to fall into this trap if we were to look at this and think well I've been a Christian for quite a number of years Uh, I'm not going to fall into open and obvious sins that would be to make Peter's mistake we need to watch for we are vulnerable to envy, to worry, to discontentment with the life that God has given to us, where we are vulnerable to pride. There are things that we can read, there are people that we can talk to, there are places we can be where we are vulnerable to these sins being part of our temptation in that day, and we need to be careful. Places where we're vulnerable to anger. Things that we might read or watch that, that bring out anger in us. Unjust anger. We need uh, to avoid places and people and locations and circumstances where we are vulnerable. And those who have been Christians for a long time, we need to make sure we don't think that we are not vulnerable. Know our weaknesses. Peter didn't. Or didn't admit them. And also we need to avoid places of increased pressure. Pressure to stand with the world. There are some terrible parallels that John draws in this little section. He's an incredible writer. You remember how Jesus majestically said when the soldiers said to him, We are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. I am he. And he strode forward towards the armed soldiers, probably hundreds of men, uh, the word would indicate, coming to arrest him. And here is Peter. And 
He's asked, you're not also one of them? And he says twice, I am not. It's exactly the same little phrase as Jesus used, except he says not at the end of it. And then there's another parallel that John points out. He says in verse 18 that Peter was standing with them around the fire. Standing with them. That was the phrase he had used in verse 15 of Judas. And alarm bells should be ringing as we read that phrase. He's standing in a place of increased pressure. He's confident of his strength, but he's put himself in a place of increased pressure. And for all of us, we need to watch for that. For that leads us into the second characteristic we need to be watching for. We fail when we are governed by fear of man, not fear of God. Peter is standing in a place of increased pressure. And because of that pressure, he is going to deny Jesus. He wants to stand by the fireside where it's warm. Spurgeon comments on verse 18, um, where it speaks of Peter standing at the fireside because it was a cold night. Spurgeon says, It is much better to be cold than to warm ourselves where we are exposed to temptation. It might be the warmth of society's approval. It might be the warmth of the approval of our peer group causes us to let our Saviour down. We fail because we are governed by the opinion of others and not the opinion of God. Fear of man and not fear of God. Peter was more worried about what the people thought than about what God thought. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts the Lord will be exalted. And this is something that we can all be vulnerable to in different ways. There are different people that we want them to think well of us and we can dial down our faith, our distinctiveness in their presence or in the presence of a group of people. And you know, there's something really perverse. We can even seek the approval of fellow Christians in a wrong way. We want them to think well of us And so we pretend that we have no problems in the Christian life and we end up leaving ourselves open to temptation because we won't admit that we have weaknesses, because we don't want others to think ill of us. We're governed by fear of man and not fear of God. And that led Peter into letting his Saviour down. Two characteristics Uh, that Peter displays, that we can display, that lead us to fall. Before we leave this point, I just want to make three quick applications that we've already sort of touched on. But watch the location of temptation. Watch the location of temptation. Peter was where he didn't need to be. Peter was where he didn't need to be. Jesus had said, let these go. Peter 
would have been perfectly honourable for him if he had gone home and prayed like the other disciples went home or wherever they fled to. What's the location of temptation? There are places that we don't need to be that we can put ourselves in where we find ourselves backed into a corner and the only way out to save face and to keep people's good opinion can be by letting our Saviour in. What's the location? What's the timing of temptation? What's the timing of temptation? Peter falls after a moment of courage. After a big moment where he had stood his ground for his Saviour. Okay, it was wrong what he did in a sense, pulling out his sword, but we can't deny that it was brave. He had stood for his Saviour and he was perhaps feeling confident in himself as he got into the courtyard. And then his guard is down. He's ready to be brave when it's something big at stake. But whenever it's a little girl asking him an innocuous question, he fluffs it. He gets it wrong. And sometimes for us, we're perfectly able to be courageous if we were to be asked, do you follow Jesus? We would say, yes, I do. I am proud to be called a Christian. I will nail my colours to that mast. But then there's maybe some other little question. And maybe we're asked that amidst a group of people that we know their opinions vastly different and it's maybe something that isn't quite as, as threatening. And we answer the other way. And it seemed a small thing. Our guard was up for something bigger, but the small thing gets us the timing of temptation. Often after we've been strong for Jesus, Satan comes in then and gets us when we're confident in our own abilities. Watch the location, watch the timing, and watch the speed. Watch the speed. Uh, Peter should have prayed. Jesus woke him in the garden so that he could pray. But because he didn't take the time when he had the time, he had no time to pray when he was facing temptation. When the pressure was on, he found himself sucked into circumstances, pulled off balance, tugged by one circumstance after that, and it came on and it came on. And he was kept off balance. And here's the lesson. If we don't take time to do what we ought to do, like acknowledge our weaknesses in prayer and ask God for strength as we go into different circumstances and wisdom to know what, what circumstances to be in and what not to be in, we will be knocked and jostled and tugged and pulled the whole way until we fall. So make time. Make time. And if we find ourselves in a position where the speed of things have come upon us, do what Peter didn't do. Not just pray, but run. Run. When he said no the first time, he should have turned and fled from the courtyard. Let's be aware of our weaknesses. Both the, the internal things that lead to temptation and the external things. So that we don't fail our Saviour. But what happens when we do? What happens when we do? That brings us to our second point. When we fail Jesus, Jesus doesn't fail us. 
Jesus doesn't fail you. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful interweaving from John of these two storylines. The failure of Peter with the steadfastness of Jesus. And it's really helpful the way he does this. So that we can see as Peter is busy failing, Jesus is busy saving. Peter needed a saviour and Jesus is being that saviour. As Peter flounders, Jesus is firm. As Peter is miserable, Jesus is majestic. And Peter's Jesus is our Jesus. And John draws attention to three things. Three things he wants us to see and three things that he wanted his readers to see about Jesus. And whenever we fail, it's helpful to see what John wants us to see. First of all, Jesus is bound. And John highlights it in verse 12, in the start of this section, verse 24, at the end of it. Jesus was bound. Now, was ever there anything more ridiculous? Jesus had stepped forward and said, I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. And they'd actually been so awestruck by the majesty of the moment and the divine claim that he was making that they fell back when they came to arrest him and he could have just walked away. But he stood there and he said, again, who is it you're looking for? I am he. He waited for them to arrest him. He identified himself and waited. And then it's ridiculous as well because he is the almighty God. It's like whenever Samson was bound with the thin cords and the the vines and he just snapped them at ease. They've just bound the Lord of the universe with something on a tiny planet. It's like threads. He could have snapped them easily. But John draws attention to it. I think he does so to show us Jesus bound for Peter's sake and for my sake, for your sake. Bound so that we could be free. Bound like Isaac to the altar. Bound with cords so that we could go free. John wants us to see Jesus bound. When you fail, when you feel you're bound by the accusations that Satan throws at you and by your falling into sin, the things you've said or thought that you regret, see your Saviour bound for you. See him bound. Secondly, we see Jesus' righteousness. Jesus bound and Jesus' righteousness. We have this interaction with Annas. Well, he had been the high priest and then the Romans had deposed him and put Caiaphas, his son-in-law, in place. But the Jews still regarded Annas as the main man. So Jesus comes before him first. And Annas does what was illegal. He tries to entrap Jesus by getting Jesus to incriminate himself. This wasn't allowed in Jewish law. Witnesses had to be brought forward. And the witnesses had to give evidence. And what does Jesus do when Annas does this unworthy thing? He highlights the illegality of it. He says, I taught in the open. 
I spoke in your synagogues. I didn't plot in secret. Come, bring accusations from what was said there. Surely you've got witnesses, he's saying. He's highlighting the the unrighteousness of the moment. And then he gets smacked across the face by a zealous servant of the high priest who says, is this any way to speak to the high priest? And again, Jesus doesn't react with this provocation. He remains. How hard must it be to be unjustly accused and then thumped out of nowhere? Jesus doesn't react. Again, he highlights the unrighteousness of the moment. And he asks, if I did anything wrong, show it to me. And what is it John wants us to see here? He sees while Peter is being unrighteous and while Peter is falling under the slightest provocation, under the slightest temptation, Jesus is being righteous under great provocation. And when we foul up, when we fall into sin, when we fail, we need to see that Jesus doesn't fail us, that his righteousness covers over our failure. And here we see it, John just highlighting it for us. And then the third thing that he highlights for us, Jesus the substitute. Jesus the substitute in verse 14. In verse 14 he records for us that Caiaphas was the one who had said that it would be better for one man to die on behalf of the people than for the nation to perish. John reminds us of the wicked agenda of the religious leaders. And he reminds us of the saving agenda of Jesus. Caiaphas wasn't thinking about salvation. Caiaphas was thinking about politics. He thought that if this fella gets a crowd around him and he wants to be the Messiah, then the Romans will clamp down hard and that'll be detrimental for the nation and I'll lose my position of political clout and it's better that if we do away with this fellow Jesus than for the whole nation to be in turmoil and to lose their freedom. That's what he was thinking about. But John remembers those words that were recorded back in John 11, 49 to 51. And he, he remembers them and he brings them forward to here and he puts them at the top of this section so that we are reminded of what's really happening. He says, you remember what was said months previously? Well, that's what's happening here. One man is going to die for his people. And here is a wonderful truth. While Peter is outside sinning, Jesus is inside staying on track to die for the very sins that Peter in that moment is committing and has yet to commit. Isn't that wonderful? That in the very moment while Peter is sinning, Jesus is being his substitute. We see it at the cross too. In the very moment that one of the, th- the, the thieves is cursing Jesus, Jesus is on the cross paying for that man's sin. What is it John wants us to see here? That we have a saviour who stands in our place and that our sin is paid for. And when the cock crows, 
and you see your sin for what it is, when the accusation when the accusation comes in from Satan and from our conscience that we've failed our Saviour again and we find ourselves broken by it, we find ourselves swamped with recriminations. See your Saviour standing his ground so that he could be your substitute, so that forgiveness could be yours. In every courtyard failure in your life, Jesus is the substitute and saviour you need. When you fail him, he never fails you. What a saviour we have. Perhaps you're listening this morning or you're listening online and you're not a Christian. You don't have a saviour yet. You're confident in your own strengths, but that's to be like Peter. And it will fail you, not perhaps in this world, but it will fail you in that great court on the day of judgment, not before some insignificant servant girl, but before the judge of all the earth. And yet you could have this Jesus as your saviour. So whilst you have failed him, if you take him as your saviour, on that great day, he will stand as your substitute, for he has been bound in your place. And his righteousness will cover over your unrighteousness. What a saviour you could have. And what a saviour you do have if you are a Christian. And what comfort it is when we have stood with the world for a moment. Instead of for our saviour. That we have a saviour who hasn't stopped standing for us. And also what a challenge it is to us too. Having such a saviour as this let us make sure that we stand for him all the more whenever we have opportunity amen let's come to god in prayer father in heaven our sins horrify us at times they shock us and the more we go on in the christian life the more we think that we should be on top of things. And yet we find us doing a Peter, that the slightest thing, we've, we've got it wrong. Forgive us, Lord, and help us. Help us not to think of ourselves as stronger than we are. Let us heed the warning of Paul that him who is standing take heed lest he fall. Show us where we're weak so that we can, by the Spirit's help, guard ourselves at those points and places and times and with particular peoples. Lord, help us to stand for our Saviour in every moment. But thank you that in every moment he stands for us and that he never fails his people. And that whilst Peter is failing, Christ is standing steadfast. And we thank you that that is true for us as it was true for Peter. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us uh, in this, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.